listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome back to another episode of Theology and Apologetics. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Today's study, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So not not many verses there, but there's a lot in this text. And I've called this study Looking in the Right Direction. This was originally a talk given to a a group of young people at a Bible conference. Uh, I'm re-recording it now, though, so I've added some stuff in for the recorded version. So let's jump straight in. Let's read the text, and then we'll make some comments as we go through. Uh, Let's just commit this time to the Lord. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would just open our hearts and our minds to understand what you are saying to us by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, we pray. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, before we get into exegeting the text, let me just ask you a couple of questions. How many of you have ever felt lost in life? And as you can imagine, these questions were originally asked, like I say, to a group of young people. How many of you would uh, consider your life to be in a bit of a mess right now? You don't quite know how to fix yourself. If you if you spend any time on social media, you you would have seen many of the memes right now that will that make fun of these issues. They'll they'll have a comment saying something like "My life right now," and it will be kind of laid over a, a, a train crash or some sort of wreck. And obviously, there's there's an element of humour in these. But I would also say, just from my you know limited experience of in, engaging with young people. Behind these humours, there are some very real hurts, some very real pains. There is a lot of loneliness, depression, a lot of mental health issues among young people right now. In fact, uh, it's been said that the mental health issues among young people are at epidemic levels right now. You see, and this is the issue. At a time in history when people are in fact more connected with each other than ever before, people are also more disconnected from one another. And this is true. I, I know this to be true. I see it all around. We're more connected, but yet we are also more disconnected. Um, Some studies show that there's actually been an 80% rise in mental health issues since the launch of the smartphone. Okay, now I don't want to be one of these uh, older people who kind of always raging at young people about using their smartphones. Um, However, I also am a bit older and I can see the effect it's having on people. And it's not just theory now. The studies are actually starting to come out that do prove there are direct correlations between these issues and the smartphone. Let me read to you a few comments by a professor of psychology from San Diego University who, who's written and published a lot in this area. Uh, Jean Twenge is, is the name. Uh, this is just a few quotes from an article in The Atlantic recently. It says this, Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen, that's the iGeneration, that's those who have really been born during the internet era and have known nothing else, iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. The results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, and those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be happy. There's not a single exception. 
all screen activities are linked to less happiness and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. Once again, the effect of screen activities is unmistakable. The more time teens spend looking at screens, the more likely they are to report symptoms of depression. Now I find these sorts of studies, and this is, there are many coming out like this now, I find these extremely concerning because it means really that, that this I generation have in fact been used as guinea pigs and we are starting to see the breakdown now in the way that it's affecting their lives. And this is really serious, basically because their lives are important. Their lives are serious. They're supremely important, particularly in the sense in the Christian worldview, as we're looking at the importance of the gospel and following Jesus. And if you've been involved in these sorts of things, you know there are a lot of tears shed by young people who don't know their direction in life. And Christians are not immune to this. You see, some ways it might even be um, kind of more prone to feel this struggle because we often have that refrain pushed at us in our churches and our youth groups that you shouldn't be feeling depressed because you're a Christian or you shouldn't be feeling like you don't know what you're doing in life because you're, you're a Christian. You have this grand purpose in your life. Yet in reality, we see these sorts of comments can actually make us feel more guilty because we do wonder where we're going. No one is immune to having these sorts of crises in their lives. doesn't matter if you're a teenager or any stage in life. What I want to do now is try and offer some practical, biblical advice to how we start to fight back against these sorts of things. I want to address some of these issues and I want to try and reposition the focus in our lives. And this is going to be done through the Word of God and hopefully through the Holy Spirit of God. Now let's go back to these verses in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3, the fixing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, these verses will always have a special place in my life when I was... Uh, before I was married to my wife, one of the things that she did for me was she cut out every individual letter of these verses, big print. I had them stuck on my wall for like four years, but before we kind of printed vinyl, she used to print them and then cut out every individual letter and typeset them on the wall. It took her days and days and days. Um, this was in the days where you had time to do stuff like that, pre-kids obviously, <laughs> but uh, it was one of those things why I always remember this verse. I've got it committed to memory, and I think everyone should really commit this verse to memory. It's, it's such an encouraging verse. Now, let me just put the verse in context from the entire book of Hebrews. You see, the author of Hebrews, many people believe it was Paul. Some people, uh, Apollos. Uh, ultimately, we don't know who the author was. But the author has been writing, explaining the superiority of Jesus Christ over the three central tenets of Judaism, the law and angels and these sorts of things. And he also explains reasons why um, these new Christians need to endure with their new faith during times of trial, because they, they were in trial and there was more trial coming. And he, in chapter 11, the chapter just preceding our, our verses here this morning, he gives a very famous list of people who have had this faith that's endured. It's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. Now, we could read through that whole list. It's a very encouraging book. And we could also extend that list through church history uh, right up to the modern time. Many of you will probably have people in your life that you know have displayed an enduring faith through difficult circumstances. One thing we need to realize, though, is that it's important these people, we understand, they're not presented as perfect. It's not due to them being sort of ultra-spiritual group that they endured like this. You see, the point is that this list includes many people whose many failings are recorded for us in the Bible. You see, the point is that even in the midst of sin, or when we're dealing with the consequences of sin, or we're going through trials or persecution, these people clung 
by faith to the God of Israel. This is what it means, okay? This is what the faith, the enduring faith is, is what they're talking about here. So let's go through these verses. It says, therefore, with such a great cloud of witnesses. This is basically saying, in light of the great examples we have, we have of people who have lived this life of faith. And it's looking at these, these great ones in chapter 11, and we can add more into that list. He then goes on to give the sort of application of, the, of this part. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This verse uses the metaphor of a race, and it's a common metaphor that we find used in the scriptures many times, and it's often used for the Christian life. This verse also identifies the runners for us, those who have gone before and finished the race, and those that are still running. Obviously, those that are still running is us in this stage. We are running a race. What does it say in 2 Timothy 4.7? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, to run a race well, you need to remove anything that may hold you back or slow you down. Many athletes, you, you know, they will literally shave every hair from their body to reduce drag, cyclists and swimmers and these sorts of things. Now, you see, they're going to those sort of extremes just for that extra millisecond that it may get them in the race. That's their dedication. How much more should our dedication be to, to running the life, the, the race of faith in this in this sense? Uh, the British Army soldiers, you remember when we were in Afghanistan, there was often these reports that the soldiers suffered what they called load-bearing injuries because they, they had to carry so much heavy kit on their bat, often their knees and their ankles would give way before they even reached uh, the front line. These are load-bearing injuries. So we are to remove every weight. Now, these are things that slow you down in following Jesus. Now, these may not necessarily be sin sinful moral actions they could be much more mundane elements than this this might not involve a choice between right and wrong in the moral sense but you have to ask the question with all of these things is it beneficial to my walk you see think honestly in your own life what are some of these things that weigh you down in the race we all have them i want you to think what they are in your own life and if you can think of anything it may be the time you spend on your phone. It may be the people you hang out with. It may be your own uh, propensity to sit down and watch TV all evening instead of spending time with the Lord or praying. And, you know, the list could go on. But if you can acknowledge them, then the command here for you is to lay some of these things aside. Lay them aside. You see, without the burden that we often try and carry with us, the life of faith is much easier to run and it will actually be much more rewarding. Initially, we build up objections because we think, oh, I really don't want to do that now, I'm exhausted. However, in the long run, the more time we spend cultivating the life of faith, the more rewarding it will be. You see, and often I believe the problem is that we actually do try to have it both ways. You see, we follow Jesus for a little bit and we're doing well, but then we go out and we follow the world for a bit. And we don't realise that when we go out into the world, things jump on our back without realising it, we accumulate extra baggage for the journey and this baggage weighs us down and then we come back into the race of faith and we're walking slower and things seem harder and we're more prone to give up and we don't really understand why so maybe we sit and we stop or we just leave the track and go back onto the world's track. You see, this is what sin does. The word there is entangles or ensnares and I like the way the ESV puts it in the, in the version we read, clings closely to us. The idea is a sort of picture of it 
tangling up your legs as you're running and tripping you over. You see, sin is deceitful and harmful. It, it wraps itself around your legs when you try and run the race and it knocks you down. Now, we may think that sin is you know, not that big a deal, but ultimately, this is what it does. And this can be any sin. You know, things like pornography, that's a huge issue in the culture at the moment, to sins of the heart like pride and hatred and anger. Uh, it could be apathy or laziness, unforgiveness in your heart towards a brother or a sister. It could be much bigger issues that you're dealing with in your life. All of these things can trip us up. So we have our weights and we also have our sins that we engage with. And these things are holding us back and hindering us from running the walk of faith. Now, in this context, in the book of Hebrews, um, the greatest sin that it's really talking about here is that of unbelief. Um, what it means by this in this context is a specific mindset that does not trust the promises of God. You see, it does not believe that the life of faith is sure to win. You see, let me tell you something. When all is said and done, when everything is finished, only that which is done in faith will last. And that is a lesson we need to understand. Lay it aside. Confess it and accept his forgiveness and his cleansing, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, endurance, let's talk about that for a little bit. Another term that we maybe don't like to think about in today's um, quick and easy culture. It requires effort. That's what endurance means. You see, sometimes the best things in life come from working for them. Laziness is produced when everything is handed to us, and laziness is condemned in the Bible. Endurance is a biblical quality. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The race set before us. You see, make, make no mistake, there is a race and there is a purpose to your life. God is not in the habit of doing things for no purpose. Now, just because your race may look a little different from someone else's race, because your experiences are different, that doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. It just means you need to know where to look. We don't look at others. We look on one person. And this is what the verse 2 does in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And here is the key. To the life of faith. It seems so simple, and it is simple in many ways. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to focus our attention on him. Let me ask you this question. How well do you really know him? Now, I know you may know about him. You may have heard a lot about him in sermons or in books or in church or in school, but how well do you really know him? What's the level of your relationship with him? Do you hurt at the things that grieve him? Do you desire to spend time with him? Do you want to listen to him? Do you want to obey him? You see, he is the almighty God of the universe, a being so awesome we can barely comprehend. Yet he's also the one that chose to reveal himself to us. Yet, if we're honest, often we know more about our favourite TV characters than we do about the Lord. Let me read you a quote from a famous sermon by A.W. Tozer called God is Not a Railway Porter. He starts by quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? 
We must be concerned with the person and character of God, not the promises alone. Through promises we learn what God has willed to us, we learn what we may claim as our heritage, we learn how we should pray, but faith itself must rest on the character of God. Is this difficult to see? Why are we not stressing this in our evangelical circles? Why are we afraid to declare that people in our churches must come to know God himself? Why do we not tell them that they must get beyond the point of making God a lifeboat for their rescue or a ladder to get them out of a burning building? How can we help our people get over the idea that God exists just to help them run their businesses or fly their airplanes? God is not a railway porter who carries your suitcase and serves you. God is God. He made the heaven and earth. He holds the world in his hand. He measures the dust of the earth in the balance. He spreads the sky out like a mantle. He is the great God Almighty. He is not your servant. He is your father and you are his child. He sits in the heaven and you are on the earth. This is the one we fix our eyes on. You see, the less acquainted we are with him, the harder it will be to run the, the, run the race. The less motivation we will have we're less inclined to do things for people that we don't really know. You see, it will be harder when the trials come to persevere, and they will come. Listen to the words of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom, she was a Dutch Christian who was uh, made famous because she, um, she hid Jews during the Holocaust in, in her uncle's watch shop. Uh, there's a famous her stories. You can read the book in The Hiding Place. I suggest you all read that book. It's a very good book. Uh, eventually, she was caught. She was put in a concentration camp with her sister, Betsy. Her sister died, but she survived. Uh, she's a very uh, absolutely amazing woman. Uh, you can go to Israel today and go to the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum and you can see her honoured as one of the righteous Gentiles for what she did during those times. But when she came out of it all, she said this. If you look at the world you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And that is a lesson for us today, because often we can look at the world and we can be scared of what's happening. Uncertain times in all this terrorism, the global corruption, the leaders and these sorts of things that people make noise over. We can look at ourselves uh, this sort of culture of self as we look at this inward looking culture uh, again <laughs> smartphones partly responsible for that that often causes depression what we need to do is fix our eyes on jesus and he will give us rest and the term here looking or fixing it's much stronger word than we have in english it, it's not just talking about a, a kind of glancing with your eyes it's talking about a looking in faith it's a definite turning to focus on one thing while not looking at other things do you remember the story in Matthew 14 where the disciples are in a boat and Jesus comes to them walking on the water? And Peter, in his uh, kind of exuberance, he jumps out and he says, Lord, I'll come to you. And he starts walking on the water. And then it says in the text, but he saw the wind around him. He, he basically he took his eyes off the Lord and he looked at his circumstances around him and he suddenly realized this is scary. It's not good. And he began to sink. And we know the story, he cried out for the Lord to help him and immediately the Lord was there. It's a lovely story, but the, it's again illustrating this point. We fix our eyes on Jesus as we make our way through this world. Just as Corrie said, Philippians 3 verse 13, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget what lies behind, whatever's happened in your life, the things that you've done, whether you've been walking away from the Lord at this moment, forget that. 
strain forward to what lies ahead and if you are in Christ what lies ahead of you is a glorious future with the the Lord and Savior Jesus press on towards that goal it's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus and it's a call that you have been called into because he is the author and perfecter of faith this is how the verse goes on this means basically you could say he is the founder or the originator of our faith he is the only perfect example of the life of faith and the perfecter there you could say he is the finisher he has already completed the race you see for him the race course stretched from heaven from being in glory in the commune of the trinity down to bethlehem then to gethsemane to a cross at calvary to a tomb in jerusalem and then back to heaven that was his race course and never did he falter you see it's important to remember because this impacts us too god has saved us and set us on the course and god does not leave work unfinished Philippians 1.6, I and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You may be way off track now in your walk with Christ, but this still applies to you. Stop, turn and get back on track. Let's continue in Hebrews. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him you see it doesn't say that all he encountered would be joyful we know that's definitely not true um, it's not about having just a kind of happy life all the way through we know that won't happen in this fallen world but it's saying that he could look past these trials because of the sure promise of the joy that awaited him ahead and he was so sure of this and we can be so sure of this because he has already finished the race and we are part of his body you see, this is the same mentality that these Hebrew Christians uh, needed, and this is the same mentality that we need now. Um, what does it say in the uh, book of Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. He knew that he would be resurrected to life and reunited with the Father. And this is our future too. And we get the down payment of this from the Holy Spirit who can fill us with his presence and joy even now as we are here as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And it says he despised the shame. You see, he was willing to endure the shame he suffered. Uh, in, in the Greek, this term kind of has the connotation of he, he thought little of it. It was nothing compared to the ultimate goal that he had in his mind. Now, shame is a correct response to guilt and sin. Uh, we need to have shame. A nation or a culture without shame is, will end up doing disastrous things. But the thing about Jesus was he bore a shame that wasn't his. It was ours. It was our shame that he bore. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has now assumed that triumphant position at the right hand of the Father, where he is still there interceding for us daily. And then finally, verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, if you are struggling, consider him. If you're in sin, consider him. If you're blessed or happy, consider him. If you need help, consider him. If you're lost, consider him. If you do not understand the glory of the Christian faith and everything that is yours by virtue of the work that Christ has done, simply consider him. Fix your eyes on him, 
think about him, learn more about your Saviour. You see, the fullness of life is only found in Christ, nothing else. In Christ there is full acceptance, therefore do not doubt him. In Christ there is peace, therefore trust him. And in Christ there is life, therefore abide in him. In Christ there is light, therefore follow him. In Christ there is power, therefore wait on him. In Christ there is all truth, therefore learn from him. In Christ there is grace, therefore receive from him. In Christ there is joy, therefore rejoice in him. And in Christ there is strength, therefore lean on him. Everything we need, we will find in Christ. He has all the hope, all the love, all the grace, all the power, all the strength, the wisdom, the patience, the guidance, the encouragement, all the joy, the endurance, the gentleness, the forgiveness, the determination, the submission, the boldness and the meekness that we need. Every virtue is in him. Every good thing we need, he has. And what he has, he willingly gives to us. This is what our Saviour does for us. Let no one falter in the race that is set before us. Let no one drop out because of discouragement, fear, doubt, despair, anger or bitterness. or Any of these reasons here. Take our eyes off ourselves and put your eyes on to Jesus. He is the Lord. He has already run the race. He is the captain of our souls and he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And I honestly believe that this is one of the main ways that we will counteract this culture of self and depression and loneliness by simply understanding the, what we have been given in Christ and considering him and fixing our eyes on him. This must be the first step and really the first and final step, I believe. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's leave that there. I want to thank you for listening and taking the time just to subscribe to these podcasts. I would just encourage you, uh, if you do enjoy these podcasts, if they're, if they're a blessing to you, that you please leave us a review. This helps us get up the search ratings. More people will be able to see them. Uh, I'm able to see, you know, we're getting a lot of listeners from different countries. So if you have any questions or topics that you'd like to address, please go to the website, uh, thomasfretwell.com, and you can just go to the contact us form and you can submit a question if you you'd like me to do a podcast on it you can also see my speaking schedule on there and there's also news about our um, youth apologetics conference that will be running in the UK soon so please go on the website if you need information about that and there's also a page about my uh, PhD research and uh, the funding that you can partner with me if you led in that direction I'll probably do a whole podcast just at some point filling you in about what my PhD research is uh, is on topic but uh, for now, you can just go to the website and find all of that. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.